You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. So if you will open your Bibles to the very end of 1 Thessalonians. We're, we are closing 1 Thessalonians today. So the very end, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, we'll be in verses 23 through 28 today. Um, and I think, I think that we'll see that this is, uh, there couldn't be a more beautiful end to a wonderful letter. Could not be a more beautiful end. Uh, so 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 28. We'll spend most of our time in verses 23 and 24. Let's pray for the ministry of the word. Lord, thank you that, that as we gather, Lord, we, we are not having to muster you up, Lord. It is not something as we're trying to, to get you going, Lord. We, we come because you are already gathering. We come because you are already at work drawing. We come because you are compelling. And so, Lord, we pray now that as we open your word, Lord, that the worship of our day together, the church gathered and drawn together, Lord, that the worship would continue forth, Lord, as we open your word, as we read your word, as we hear your word, and as we apply your word, Lord, we pray, would you do your good work of building your church? Correct where there's need of correction. Maybe where we've had false views of ourself, false views of you, false views of circumstances. Maybe we've been more emotionally driven and we need to be more truth driven or whatever it is, or may you correct us. Above all, Lord, and you do this so well. You do it so well. Even in our correction, you encourage. So, Lord, may you strengthen and encourage and build your church today that we may grow in maturity of Christ-likeness and that our hearts may be filled and full with you. We love you. We praise you. Do your work now through a weak, little, measly vessel, myself. Do your work. May your word go out powerfully through your spirit, and may you apply your word through your spirit, that you may be exalted and your church built. And the church says, amen. Amen. Before moving to San Antonio, we lived in the same house for just over 12 years. And as we began to prepare our home to be sold, we invited a realtor friend uh, to kind of sort of come into our house and help us see its condition and um, the state in which it was in with fresh eyes. And I'll tell you, it was very humbling. It was very humbling to have someone, even though a friend, come through and walk in your house and around and through your house looking for things that needed to be fixed. It was very humbling because though he was a friend, he did not hold back. <laughs> he did not hold back his observations and the need for improvement of our home. We had grown accustomed to our home. We were there for 12 years. We had, it had somewhat become hard for us to see the actual state in which we were in. We, we've grown, we grew comfortable in that. And that's most of the time, that's the case for all of us. Uh, we we kind of get comfortable where we are. We forget, we stop seeing all the dirt and the cracks and all that kind of stuff, and we're just kind of good. So that's how we had become. But, but he, he came in with fresh eyes for what our home needed in order to be presentable. 
He, he knew, he, as he began to just look, he walked through our home and around our home and didn't hesitate to point out areas of needed renovation. Though our friend was there to help us, he was serving us well, pointing out needed paint and walls and floorboards that needed cleaning and cracks that needed caulking and all of it. There was, it seemed as if there was not a spot he was going to miss. It didn't take long for us. Though he was trying to serve us, it didn't take long for us to begin to feel overwhelmed, to begin to kind of feel heavy of heart at the reality that was before us. The, the temptation set in almost immediately to feel discouraged, as if we had failed in this call of home ownership, to feel even somewhat hopeless. Almost as if we, we saw the needed renovation and, and just kind of thought, how are we going to take care of all of that? How are we going to take care of all of that? But, but before our friend left, I think, I think he could probably look at us and tell what was going on. <laughs> he could probably look at us and just see the weight upon our shoulders. I think just freshly aware of how we were beginning to feel. As he began to walk out, before he walked through the door, he turned to us and said some of the most comforting and encouraging words we could have heard. He turned and he said something along these lines. Oh, this work is not uncommon. So, so don't feel as if you have somehow failed. Know that you are not alone in this. Because I know exactly who can help you get all of this work done. So it's not uncommon. We weren't like some kind of all of a sudden like like the one people in the world who didn't clean their floorboards, you know, or you know, there's, no, they didn't, the one guy who didn't take care of that crack in the, in the ceiling, you know, or something like that. You're, you're, it's not uncommon. You're not alone, but you're definitely not alone because I know just who can help you take care of all of this work. So though there was a ton, a ton, and I did put in a ton of work. I don't think I've ever been so sore in my life trying to work on our house. There was, a, there was a ton of work to be done. It brought us great encouragement to know that this work was not uncommon. Most people needed this work to be done, and it brought us great comfort to know that we would not be alone to accomplish that work. Paul, in the second half of this letter to the Thessalonian church, has been as the friend walking through the spiritual house of the Thessalonians helping them to see with fresh eyes the areas of needed spiritual renovation, needed work that needed to be done where they need to continue to grow and mature as Christ's people, so in Christ's likeness. And we saw that in this letter, that, that work of growing in Christ's likeness is summed up in one word called sanctification. Sanctification, to be set apart by Christ and then to progressively grow in Christ's likeness. He, Paul, almost gave this bombardment. Did it feel like that the last several weeks? Like really all of chapter 4 and 5 are just this bombardment of a list of sanctifying work and needs that need to be done and commands. They were commands 
do this, do this. Listen, here's a list of this. Listen to this. this. These are things that we have gone through over the last several weeks. They need to grow in their passion for purity. They need to grow in loving one another with a family type of love. They need to grow in living quietly to take care for what God has called them to and what he's put in front of them rather than taking on all the unnecessary concerns of the world. So then, in a sense, minding their own affairs, Paul would say. To be diligent workers, to avoid living in a manner that even the lost would look at them and say, that's inappropriate, and they call themselves a Christian. He he charged them and called them to grow in how they grieve even, to grow in how they grieve, to learning to grieve the pains and the losses they're going through with the hope of Christ. Learning to grow, so growing and grieving even. They need to grow in learning to live today in light of the reality of Christ's return, that the King is coming. The King is coming, and so wake up, sleeper. Wake up, live today. For the king is coming. They need to grow in pursuing peacemaking with one another. Growing and caring more for others rather than themselves. Caring more for others. Warning the idle. Comforting the discouraged. Helping the weak. Patiently enduring with one another. I mean, are you hearing this? Have, have you already in that list, has one just nailed you? And just, whoa, that's me. I need to grow in that. I mean, he goes on. When wronged, when wronged, not repaying evil for evil, but instead purposing to do good to one another. Growing in a life of gospel, I would say gospel optimism. When he, when he calls us to live with this heart posture of consistent gladness in Christ, a prayer-filled life and thankfulness in all circumstances. I think that, that could be summed up as a gospel optimism, that they need to grow in that, grow in this. And then last week, We heard, it felt like almost the the biggest one of all. Last week, we we heard their need to grow in fleeing that which grieves or quenches the Spirit among them. To live and to love and to pursue and desire the work of the Spirit and fleeing, grow in hating and fleeing that which is opposed to the Spirit, which is sin. So essentially ending with, Grow in hating sin. <laughs> That's a lot. That, could, that is this bombardment. And I think, though, I think, I think Paul, by the inspiration of God, knows how all of that list could land on us and the church in Thessalonica. We're, we're, we are easily... Our balance of foundation is easily shaken when we become aware of our shortcomings, our failures, where we're weak, where we stumble, and our inability to grow, our inability to change ourselves. It can almost rock our world because we're so used to looking in and of ourselves for everything. The world kind of preaches that to us. I think, I think under the inspiration of the Spirit of God leading Paul as he strokes this letter to this church and as years later we would hear this letter, Paul knows exactly what we would feel, how, how we would feel with all, when we see a glimpse of all the needed heart renovation that needs to take place in our hearts and minds. We could be discouraged, 
we could almost feel as if I just need to give up. But because of that, Paul writes these closing verses. So the list comes, and now, beginning in verse 23, it's almost as if before he walks out the door, he turns and he says, oh, but friends, friends, let me tell you something. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the most beautiful words, precious saints. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And we know, that's brothers and sisters, we know how he's using that word. And then closing, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. (laughs) Precious saints, Paul begins verse 23, the first half of verse 23, by showing us the source of our sanctification. So we had a list of sanctifying needs grow in this thing, and now he shows us, the beginning of verse 23, the source of your sanctification. The source of your sanctification. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. In the original language, I love just digging into the Word as we get to study, to teach you, precious saints, to just bring the Word and apply it to you. I love just digging in. And so we get to go in, even into the original language, and just pick it apart and see what it says. And do you know, in the original language, this verse doesn't actually begin with the word now. In the original language, it begins with the word himself. It begins with the word himself. The sentence is tweaked in English for readability. But it actually reads like this, that long list, and then Paul says, himself, himself, now may the God of peace sanctify you. So in talking about all the sanctifying work that needs to be done in the Christian's life through chapters 4 and 5, Paul, under now, under the inspiration of God, knowing the temptation of us all to feel as if I must do all of the work to grow in Christ-likeness. That I must be dependent upon myself. We are so tempted to that, aren't we? I mean, we, we, do, we often think things like this. I've just got to do better. I mean, think about that. When you, the last time you've sinned and, and blew it this week, what was your thought? I just got to do better next time. I got to just stop being angry. I got to just think kinder thoughts i got to just trust God more, and I'll stop being so anxious all the time. Trust, trust, trust Him more, trust Him more. I've got to just work harder at forgiving like Christ forgave me. I've got to just try to work harder to follow these commands and grow. I just, I, I just got to do this. i got to do this. 
When it comes to us growing, haven't we all thought something like that or felt that way at some point? Yet from the very first word of this verse, Paul doesn't say you. Paul doesn't keep their eyes focused on themselves. From the very first word of this verse, Paul emphatically wants to take our eyes, the Thessalonians' eyes, and our eyes off of ourselves, and he wants to point us to God himself. So hence that he starts the verse, I just himself. Taking our eyes off of us, of ourselves, and putting it on himself. We are not the beginning source of our sanctification. We are not the beginning source of our sanctification. The first place we look for the power to change is not in and of ourselves. Though we are tempted to do that, it is outside of ourselves. And that doesn't mean we are not called to work and labor towards godliness. Philippians chapter 2.12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, I love that description of the church, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there is work involved. There's a labor involved for us. And if you stop there, it would almost sound like all the labor is on me. I got to just do this. But that's not where that verse even stops. The rest of that verse says this. It's the connecting cause of how are you going to work in growing in godliness. He says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's the both and. But he's the beginning factor. God working in you is the source then of your working to grow in godliness. So where do we look first? Not at ourselves, at himself, at him. It is God himself who is the source of your being willing and working towards a life that's fitting and pleasing to God. The God of the Bible who we see from the beginning to end, who is so grand and so great and so glorious, who has the power to bring about anything he plans and purposes. He himself is working to sanctify you. And by saying God himself, let's just, let's just I don't know, we, we can use words like God and we just think it's some kind of nebulous thing. When Paul says that, think the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God the Father himself knows you and loves you and is working and is the source of your sanctification. God the Son, who is Christ Jesus, knows you today, loves you, and is working for the, and is the source of your sanctification and the Spirit of God in union with the Father and the Son, knows you, precious saint, loves you, and is the source of your sanctification. The God of the universe. So what Paul just commanded this church to be 
and to grow in for two chapters, he turns to God to accomplish. Oh my, please do not miss that kind of truth in your word. Because otherwise, we'll just become heavy laden and burdened Christians. I just got to do, I just got to do this and do that and do this and do that. And it's precious saying, you, don't, you didn't save yourself. It was the grace of God moving towards you. Sanctification is the same. Him actively working when you don't deserve it. Oh my, I love, Lord, hide that in our hearts today. Just pack that in, put it in your pocket for later when you become anxious and heavy hearted and just pull that out. Oh my, don't forget those truths. Paul commands them for two chapters and then says, now let's turn to the God of the universe to accomplish all of that work. Oh, we've said this before. Every week we've tried to say this. And Paul in these verses is just putting the exclamation point upon it. The commands of God are lived out by the grace of God. The commands of God are lived out by the grace of God, not by our might or power. We are weak and needy and frail and prone to fail, but he is stable and able where we are unable. Oh, amen. Precious saints, the world is directly opposed to that truth. Because what does the world say? You turn on the TV. I just turned this on the other day. It's a commercial. I hate commercials. I just tell you, man, it's just so full of fluff and lies. I hear this, believe in yourself. How did I do all this? And it was some athlete. Just believe in yourself. And it's like goes to another worker, like a mailman. I believe in myself. And they're doing the mail. And then it's just like another. And it's just like, what? And you just hear it. It says, no, the Bible says, stop believing in yourself. You are weak. You cannot do it. You wake up anxious right away. You think you need to put your faith in yourself? You get tired. You have to sleep. You think you need to put your faith in yourself? No, the Bible says it acknowledges us in all of our weakness, in all of our frailty, in all of our inability. And you know what the Bible says? It doesn't condemn us for that. The Bible says, come. Come then. Come you who are heavy laden and burdened from all of your working, from all of your trying to find in and of yourself the power to change. Come and find rest for your weary souls. Oh my. That's what the Bible calls out. That's what the Word of God calls out. Not condemning you for being weak. The world says, oh man, they're weak. Let's move on. No, 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 no. No, the Lord sees you in your weakness and says, stop believing in yourself and come believe in the one who truly has the power. Come, come. Maybe even this morning, precious saints, maybe, maybe there are some even among us who have never truly come to Christ in that way. Still working, still laboring, trying to find their own way, trying to do it themselves. And I'll tell you, it's just going to keep burdening you because you are weak and you are unable and you are frail and easily broken. You're a little clay pot. The Lord says, come. Come. And why wait? Why keep waiting? Come to the Lord. Come and know 
His sustaining power and transforming power. Come. And precious saint, maybe you're coming in and you have known Christ, but we are such prone to wander sheep, aren't we? Where our little eyes get taken off of looking to Christ and we start looking in the mirror. He says, no, come. And it's as if Paul just goes like this. No, just come and look once again upon your Savior. Come and look and find rest. Now, it's interesting because Paul doesn't say the God of power will sanctify you. God, he says the God of peace will sanctify you. Very interesting. When Paul uses that phrase, the God of peace, and he uses it in several letters, it encompasses so much. It does so much work. <laughs> There's so much work being done in that one phrase. Paul, later in verse 23, is going to address the Christian as a whole person. He's going to say, your whole spirit, soul, and body. And he's just saying, the wholeness of you, all of you, the whole person of the Christian. And the God of peace is this description of who God is and what he has done that is meant to be applied to the whole of your life. So here's, here's I, we'll put this up on the screen. Here, here's what we're, the God of peace means for you. The God of peace has enabled peace with God. So Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about justification a few weeks ago. So because of Christ's saving work, when in faith I'm brought to trust in his saving work, Christ's righteousness is counted as my righteousness. It's imputed righteousness. It's counted as my righteousness. And all of my sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. Hear that, precious saints. Justification by faith alone, I didn't work for it. It's in Christ's work. I am counted righteous and made righteous this, or made righteous in Him. I go from being a rebel to being welcomed as a friend. And that work of justification is stamped on me, justified, justified by Christ, not going away. It doesn't erase, it doesn't break, it doesn't get taken away. Justified remains a stamp from God upon his people. All of that is done by God who initiates. So that means it is a work of grace. God has made peace with us. Oh my. He is a peacemaking God. So that reveals, already begins to reveal. So in the God of peace, it reveals his character. It reveals in and of himself where peace is found, where it begins the beginning place of peace. Reveals his character. So he's not just a powerful and mighty God. He's a good God. And he's chosen to point his goodness towards you with peace. Second, the God of peace has enabled peace with others. Romans 14, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. Okay, there's that justification. Acceptable to God and approved by men. So then... 
Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. There are so many other verses. Ephesians talks about breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between people and bringing them in because of the work of Christ. So because God has made peace with us, we then are enabled and compelled to pursue peace with others. Christ cares about the whole of our lives. Third, the God of peace has enabled peace within. Within. Romans 8 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Life and peace. Because we have peace with God and in God through His Spirit, we are enabled to have peace within ourselves. There is no peace, no true peace found outside of Him. And then last, as we see the God of peace for the whole Christian, the God of peace has enabled perfect peace in the end. At the return of the King of Kings, Romans 16 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your Oh my, this God who cares about your whole being from your relationship with God of the universe to your relationship with others to your peace within and to the end of your life, that is the God of peace. This God of power and peace has taken a a concern for you that he himself may sanctify you. And what hope that is for often anxious and worried and fearful and failing and weak and needy and needing to grow Christians like you and me and like the Christians in Thessalonica. That there is a God of peace reigning over our lives who's invested actively in you. Praise God. So God is the source of our sanctification. And the second half of verse 23 shows us the aim of our sanctification. The aim of our sanctification. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reality TV show that we enjoy watching um, that follows a married couple who will go and find totally messed up, ugly, broken down, dilapidated homes, and they will purchase a home for someone on behalf of somebody, and then they will enter into the hard work of renovation, of renovating that home. And so as you watch the show, you often see the renovation takes them and requires the house being brought all the way down to the very foundation, pulled all the way to the studs and beams are being replaced. Beams that once used to hold the house up are being ripped out, ripped out and replaced. Oh my, 
Oh my. Piece by piece, the house is being renewed, tearing out the old and the broken and the ugly and the stuff that doesn't work anymore and putting in what is good and functional and presentable and beautiful. And they don't stop until the whole house is addressed, don't they? Have you guys seen shows like that? Yeah, they don't stop until the whole house is addressed. Nothing is left untouched. Nothing is left unfinished. It is completely and totally and wholly done so that in the end, it's ready to be presented to the one in whom it was purchased for. That is what Paul describes in these verses for the Christian. Of God and His renovating work in the lives of His people. If you are His, it is because you have been purchased at a great price by the body and blood of Christ. And so you don't belong to yourself anymore. You've been bought and there's a renovation taking place. There's a work happening. Old pillars that used to hold you up. Old ways of thinking. Old false truths. All of it being ripped out. But not so it can just hurt you. No, there's an end goal. That those pillars will be replaced with something better. That pillar that's all rotted and isn't truly holding you up. You think it's holding the house up. It's not really holding it up. That old rotted beam's being pulled out and replaced with something strong and sturdy and good for you. That is the renovating work of Christ in his church. That is what's happening when we talk about sanctification. And it's a whole work. There is no place untouched by God. He intends to do a better renovating work than what we see on TV. He's a far better renovator far better worker. He intends to enter into every place, every spot, every apartment, every compartment, every pocket hidden within the home of your spiritual life to renovate. All of it totally, wholly, and completely until, until what's put in you is functional and good and pleasing to God in order to present you one day beautifully and blameless to the one whom you were purchased for, himself. Oh, man. Are you following me still? Still with me, precious church? Church, the, the Christian life then means, it, does, it doesn't, I, I think David Pallison is the first one I heard this illustration. I, I, I can't say that for certain, but it, it, the Christian life, if you, if you imagine the chart and at the very bottom corner was that point in, in coming to faith, the Christian life should be like this chart, this graph, just kind of going up towards Christ-likeness. And it's not perfect. It's not, it doesn't just go like this. It doesn't just immediately jump and then it's going across and there you're perfected forevermore. It's, it's like this process of ups and downs, but yet the whole trajectory is still upward. That's the difference. 
Christ working in your heart and life. There's a difference between that and someone who says, oh yeah, I belong to Christ, but then the whole chart of their life is just like this. There's no upward trajectory towards godliness. They might have a glimpse, like they prayed this prayer, or they, they you know, yeah, I, I listened to Caleb one day, or, you know, and, but it's just constantly here. That, that's the chart. I think that's that just knowing that, this, that Christ is working, but there, is, there should be this upward trajectory of growing in godliness, growing in Christ-likeness. There's a process, the same thing. I, church, you know I'm simple. And so I think in pictures and things, and, and that house picture, you know, it takes time. That, that house is being done. It takes time. It takes labor, but it's going to get done. That is Christ working in a far greater, more beautiful way in, his, in the lives of his people. It takes time. There's ups and downs, but, the, but it keeps going that direction. And it won't stop. He won't stop until he's done. He won't stop until he's done. There is no place in your person that is hidden enough away from his observations of you. Today, when we had confession, there is no place Nothing you can hide away from him. It's all open. There's no place hidden from him. So so hence then there's no reason to hide it, to try to hide it. There is no place in your whole person too difficult where he is not able and willing to work for your good and growth and his glory. He is able. And there is... No place, no place maybe where I've, I've just grown up this way. My whole family is like this. It's, we just take that characteristic on. No, there's nothing that he cannot renovate or better yet, biblical word, sanctify in our hearts and minds. It doesn't matter how long you've been ensnared by a particular area of sin. It doesn't matter how great your faith is. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you have memorized. He is able and willing to work to sanctify you completely. And that connects into our third point in verse 24. He shows us the assurance of our sanctification. The assurance of our sanctification, Paul says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Precious saints, the promise of your sanctification and your being presented blameless before God in the return of Christ is not rooted in your day-to-day faithfulness. It's rooted not in your character, but in his character. It's rooted in his faithfulness. So if, if, if Paul started these verses off to show us it's God's attributes of power and peace that is working to sanctify you, now he points us to God's character that assures you that he will absolutely do what he says he will do. Because he is faithful. That's the appeal of Paul to us. He's faithful. Seems simple enough. He is 
faithful. The one who saves you will sanctify you and sustain you in his grace. The one who calls you will keep you. That, that's the whole, oh, I love this. I love the word. I love to dig into the word, precious saints. I hope you do too. I think many of you do. At the beginning in, in chapter one, remember, he, he highlights in verse four, he highlights God choosing them, God calling them, right? And so now you almost have this bookend at the end of the letter that the one who calls you keeps you. He doesn't just call you and leave you. He calls you to him. And now at the very end of the letter, here's the exclamation point. The one who calls you will keep you. Oh, precious saints, those are not small piddly tiddly truths, right? Those are mega truths. Those are big truths that you hang the whole Christian life upon. Don't ever walk away from those truths. The one who saves you will sanctify you. The one who sanctifies you will sustain you. The one who calls you will keep you. So as you persevere in the faith, do you know how you do that? Because he is working to preserve your faith, precious saints. Your perseverance is built and held upon his preservation. And how good is that? He is faithful. So if the same God, let's just, thinking about our Bibles, church history, the same God of the Old Testament is your God today, right? So that means then the same God who in Exodus said, I'm going to deliver my people out of the bondage of Egypt. And he chose to do that. He chose to do that. I'm going to deliver my people out of the bondage of Egypt. And then he himself does everything it takes to deliver them. As they grumble and complain the whole way, he does everything it takes to deliver them. And in long-suffering and faithfulness to his word and his promises, he endures with them through the desert wilderness despite their own inability and failings in order to faithfully bring them to the place he promised. That's saying, yes, that same God of the Old Testament in Exodus is our God today, precious saints. He is the same God. So will not the same God... Oh man, please don't hear this. I know I'm getting excited. And I came in weak today, I'll just tell you. Please don't, this is not... This is to encourage you. Don't hear the passion of my heart as, man, this guy's just blasting us. No, no, no. I want to so badly just turn your eyes to your precious God to your incredible and mighty God who says, you're mine today. Precious saints, will not the same God of Exodus and the Old Testament, who is our God today, be able to deliver you from the bondage of sin and shame and Satan? Isn't he the one who, just like with with his people in Egypt, isn't he the one who says, I'm going to save my people. I'm going to save that one. I'm going to take them out of the bondage of sin and shame and Satan. And is he not able to bring you through the wilderness of this world? Every day you wake up in the desert wilderness of the world. We read Exodus and say, wow, 40 years in the wilderness of the world. Precious saints, you live in the wilderness of the world today. We are in it. But is he not faithful and able 
despite your own inabilities and failings in, to bring you faithfully to the place He has promised. He is able. And He is willing. And He does promise that. Philippians 1.6 Paul just says the same thing a different way. And you know I love to say the same thing a different way. And I am sure of this. His assurance is not in himself. He says, I am sure of this. It doesn't matter how I feel today. It doesn't matter what I'm thinking today. I am sure of this. Philippians 1.6 That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech, and all knowledge. And a little bit later he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh. Paul Tripp, I love Paul Tripp. It, he says it so well. L listen to this. You and I live between the already and the not yet. Already God has set his plan of grace in motion. Already the prophets have spoken. Already Jesus has come. Already he has suffered and died. Already he has risen in victory from the tomb. Already the spirit has come. Already the word has been given. But not yet is God's work in the world finished. Not yet is his work in our hearts done? Not yet is the last enemy under his feet. Not yet is he ready to say, Beloved, all things are now ready. Enter into my final kingdom. We are right smack dab in the middle of the world's most important, incomplete process, sanctification. None of us is yet what grace makes it possible for us to be. The battle with sin and temptation still goes on. The reality is that between the already and the not yet of God's transforming process, we are all a bit of a mess. We still give way to wrong thoughts and desires. So there is simply no way our personal security can be found in ourselves. Oh, peace is not found in the degree of our faithfulness to God, but in the utterly unshakable nature of His faithfulness to the commitment of grace He has made to us. And here's what is important to understand. His faithfulness is not a demonstration of how well you're doing. No, it's a revelation of how completely holy Righteous, kind, and good He is. He remains faithful even on your most unfaithful day. Oh, amen? Oh, hearty amen.
Paul closes this letter fittingly. He closes this letter by closing with grace-saturated petitions in verses 25 through 28. Paul encourages them in verse 25 to pray. Pray. That posture, to posture themselves humbly dependent upon God because that's what prayer does. And not just pray for themselves, but pray for one another. Paul even recognizes his own need for the sustaining grace of God, and so he calls the church to pray for us. Verse 26, love that binds all the church together. A holy kiss. He talks about a holy kiss. I only know one pastor who was like a dad to me who will give a holy kiss, <laughs> who will give a kiss. Uh, hopefully he will be here at some point to preach. Billy Rays, who's in our family of churches. A holy kiss was symbolic of something, though. Symbolic of unity and peace and love between one another. That's why it was a travesty when Judas gave Jesus a holy kiss. So the call here is not just kiss everybody. The call is love everyone. Be in unity. Be at peace with everyone. And he uses that word with all the brothers, all the brothers and sisters. Don't skip over someone with all the saints. So prayer, love in verse 26, verse 27, the word that builds and feeds and is to shape the church, the whole church was to be submitted to the word. We don't pick apart, we don't pick and choose what we want here and there. No, the whole church needs the word. So he calls them to give the church the word. And he closes, which I am so glad in, he closes, verse 28, with grace. Grace. That Christ himself would faithfully and lovingly work in sustaining grace and transforming grace in the church and that the church would look to Christ as their source of regular, ongoing, daily means of sustainment and transformation. And may that be so for us as well, church. May we keep looking to Christ as our source of regular, daily, ongoing means of sustainment and transformation as He keeps graciously holding us. Precious saints of Brothers and sisters, hear this. don't grow disheartened in this work of sanctification. Don't lose your assurance in this work of sanctification. For those whom he has justified, forgiven, he is sanctifying and he will sustain you. So where do you look then? When you become aware, when the Spirit of God makes you aware of an area you need to change, you don't say, I just got to change more. Where do you look? Who is the source of your sanctification? to your God who is mighty and powerful. Amen? You look to your God of power and peace who has set his affections upon you. The one who saves you will sanctify you and sustain you. The one who calls you will keep you. And as you look to persevere in the faith, even on those days when you fear that your faith will fail, he is working to preserve you. Amen. Let's pray.